Joe, I'm uh, pretty excited about tonight's soundtrack. Uh, we've got Journey, Dio, we've got Sammy Hagar. H- hang on, wait, I thought we already did heavy metal. I'm not talking about heavy metal, I'm talking about Vision Quest. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans come together and have a rockin' good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Joe. We're going to start things off with a bang, I'm afraid. (laughs) That's the wrong kind of bang, Libby, I swear. Oh, I know. I feel bad. This this one, uh, this was my choice, uh, and my teenage horniness backfired terribly. Yes, because tonight we're discussing the soundtrack to 1985's Vision Quest, a teen coming-of-age drama about wrestling and love and sex and nosebleeds. And Matthew Modine's shirtless and manorexia and... <laughs> It's Jeez. it's bad. This is just like a whole row of like different cans of worms we're going to open tonight. I yes. am not looking forward to this. <laughs> no, it's really bad. But uh, as we found with so many soundtracks on this podcast, it's a great soundtrack for a terrible movie. It's a legitimately entertaining, well curated soundtrack. And I honestly loved it. The movie, I can't say that for. It was a slog. It was a slog. Now, my background with this movie, um, as we talked about on Married to the Mob, I had a teenage crush on Matthew Modine. And if you watch some of the videos from this, so either uh, Only the Young or um, Crazy for You, it looks like it's like not, I wouldn't say erotic. But it's kind of sexy, and he's jump roping, and he's shirtless, and he's, like, kissing this girl. And you're like, oh, this is going to be really sexy and really sensual. And this film is about as erotic as a herpes outbreak. Oh, God. It's like, technically, sex has taken place, but it's unpleasant. It's, it's sex adjacent in all the wrong ways. Yes. And, uh, um, and every last bit of it makes me uncomfortable. Yes, and every last bit of it made me want to go back in time to 13-year-old Libby and be like, it's not worth it. Because I waited for this movie until tonight. I wasn't allowed to watch it as a teenager. It was always on. But I I wasn't allowed to watch it. And then, you know, I moved on and I just never thought about Vision Quest again. And then I found the soundtrack on vinyl. And I'd done Mm -hmm. it for Record Saturday, but never got around to watching the movie. Because I wasn't like horny for Matthew Modine anymore, and we all grew I, up at I, some point. <laughs> yeah, and I mean he's still hot; he can still get it, but just like meh. But I pulled out the soundtrack uh, around Christmas last year and thought, well, let's we should finally get around to doing this one. So here we are, and I'm sorry. I wanted to watch Quest for Fire, and you said no. <laughs> Uh, But before we get into Vision Quest, we have some business to take care of from our last episode. 
uh, from yes. our Ghostbusters 2 podcast. We asked you, fine people, what was the best song from that soundtrack? And that poll was not as cut and dry as we thought it would be. No, I was actually very surprised. You guys really made us think. Yeah, really. I mean, we asked you what the best song from Ghostbusters 2 was. Eking out a win with 40.6% of the vote was Bobby Brown's On Our Own. Which I was just listening to in the bathtub, psyching myself up. Still great. It's it's never lost its power. Um, Second place, 31.5% of the vote was Howard Huntsbury's cover of Higher and Higher. Pretty good. Pretty good showing. That actually surprised me. I thought that would have been probably third place. Yeah, and I guess that's the one that most people just remember from the movie because like, that's in the big, stupid Statue of Liberty set piece. So, of course, people remember it. Yeah. Um, but then to, with 22% of the vote, we got Ren DMC's cover of the Ghostbusters theme. And then with a very sad 6.5% uh, is Bobby Brown's We're Back. See, I really did think that Ren DMC would take second place. Yeah, I mean, it was close. Because how do you not vote for Ghostbusters, you know? Yeah. So I I guess people thought, like, maybe like we did, that it went on a verse too long. Possibly. So we do love Higher and Higher. Just that cover, I think, is a little. Yeah, there are three better songs on that poll, to be fair. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All all winners in our book. But, you know. Yes. Bobby Brown, congratulations. But yeah, look out for the next poll on Twitter at OST Party. We'll usually post that the weekend after this episode airs. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, look forward to that. Now, Libby, tell us about Vision Quest. Vision Quest is a movie about a 24-year-old high schooler named <laughs> Loudon Swain who wants to drop 20 pounds in order to fight wrestling's bad boy, Brian Shute. And he also falls in love with a drifter who's, or he never really falls in love as just gets really, really sexually charged for Linda Fiorentino. And he wins the wrestling match there. Oh, also he gets nosebleeds. But it's a film that celebrates eating disorders in young men. And also being real rapey and weird. It's, yeah, it celebrates all the worst impulses of like high school teenagers in a way that doesn't scream after school special, but that is very much the vibe that I got off of this film. Yes, it feels like there should be a deleted scene where Mr. T comes in and says, don't only eat 600 calories a day so that your nose bleeds because you're not getting enough nutrients and you're deficient in iron and maybe don't rape a drifter. Yeah, <laughs> that seems like know. important information for a high schooler to know. But it doesn't. He Like at no point... He, do his actions have consequences? No, because... I he mean, wins the match and he gets the girl. Yeah, spoiler alert. He win, He gets everything he ever wanted. So, uh, apparently up doing to, all the worst things. Apparently up to and including becoming a space gynecologist? Oh, boy. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. That's, yeah, um, like I, that's not a joke. I did not write that joke. No, that's a real part of this movie. Um, yeah. But the music in it is very, very present. So I think we can actually go through this film talking about each scene as the music happens. Everything that is on the soundtrack appears in the film. Yes, multiple times for some of these songs. And we we were not kidding. Half of them are in half of these artists are in heavy metal and it also features Don Henley the eagle swapping for uh Don Felder. Mhm. Yep. So this movie is like it snuck out into the woods to find a bunch of 
old issues of heavy metal and jerk off to them. <laughs> I hate that that's like dead on accurate, you know? <laughs> that's totally 100% what this is. Yes. Oh, jeez. Oh, we better get into it. Yeah, let's just jump into it. Uh, but hey, real quick before we do, guess what? It's time for billboarding school. Billboarding school. Yay, my favorite segment. It's time for stat talk. Anyway, so the soundtrack to, to Vision Quest hit the charts March 2nd, 1985 at number 83. The number one album that week was Wham's Make It Big. Yes. The top soundtrack that week was Beverly Hills Cop at number eight. Okay. I feel like we've, we've talked out this sort of era before where Beverly Hills Cop was just huge and everything else mm-hmm. was kind of vying for second place. But Vision Quest peaked at number 11. This was actually a popular soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack. Uh, but it fell off the charts in August after five months. Uh, the number one album that week was Brian Adams' Reckless. Oh, gross. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. And the top soundtrack that week, can you take a guess what it was? Was it still Beverly Hills Cop? It was still Beverly Hills Cop at number 18. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this this movie opened... Uh, in February of 1985, at number five at the box office behind Beverly Hills Cop, which had been number one since Christmas. <laughs> number two was Witness with Harrison Ford. Number three Ooh, was the- that's a sexy movie. Oh, yeah, for real. Number three was The Breakfast Club. Ew. Number four was The Killing Fields. Ooh. And then here comes Vision Quest. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but Vision Quest is in that long line of films uh, we've talked. We've hovered around 1984 for a while. This is really, it's the Karate Kid in high school. Oh yeah, wrestling. Totally. Right down to the inspirational music. Um, you know, we've also it's got a little bit of flash dance in there. Mm-hmm. As far as the whole mood of it, it's not as warm as the Karate Kid. He doesn't have like a mentor, but he's just like a scrappy young youth who has a dream so it kind of it falls into that kind of footloose flash dance karate kid era where we were really passionate about like one thing all of a sudden like dancing or karate or wrestling wrestling and not even the professional kind yeah and like the karate kid everyone in this school district is like losing their mind over is this kid going to drop 20 pounds and wrestle another 20 pound lighter kid? Right. And the only reason I can think of as to why it matters so much is because this movie takes place in Spokane, Washington, which as far as I could tell is the most boring city on the face of the earth. That is all yes. that is going on here. Yes. But everyone is like really invested in if he's going to become, uh, if he's going to wrestle 168. Yeah. Everybody way too invested. In this kid wearing a singlet. The... And, do, and, and don't get me wrong. I was invested in Matthew Modine wearing a singlet. <laughs> of course. Very invested. But, Disappointed, but invested. But I mean, you know, obviously the wrestling coach is invested. The team's invested. His uh, maybe love interest girlfriend who works at the school newspaper is invested. His dad's invested. His coworkers are invested. This drifter who shows up off the street is also invested. His granddad who lives in the fucking woods is also invested. And who invested. is old man Morley? Roberts Blossom himself just shows up out of nowhere looking exactly the same as he does at Home Alone. It is nuts. It's ridiculous. But yeah, so we'll, let's just jump straight into it here. The film opens with Loudon declaring to himself, this is the year I'm going to make it happen. 
as the opening strings of Journeys, only the young play over the opening credits. Let's go to a clip. What a way to start a film, huh? Yeah, it really starts it off on such a high note, which is disappointing because it only goes downhill from here. But to me, Only the Young is the platonic ideal of a Journey song. Oh, 100%. Like, I've, I've talked about on the show, like, I am not a Journey fan at all. I can get behind this song. I appreciate yes. this song. It's got 100% more big, uh, soaring Steve Perry vocals than, say, Don't Stop Believing. And more driving rock than, say, heavy metal's open arms. It just rocks way harder than open arms. Most things do. But it's just, it's so good. It was worth getting sued by Scandal for. (laughs) Yes. Because they had originally written and sold this song to Scandal. Mm -hmm. And then this woman had contacted the band about her son, uh, Kenny Cycluck, of Rocky River, Ohio, who had cystic fibrosis and was a big fan of the band. And they they went out to see him in the hospital and they brought him a copy of this then unreleased tape. He's the only other person who ever heard it. Um, and he died the day after he got to meet them. And he was still listening to the Walkman that they brought with that tape. Oh, and that affected the members of Journey so much that they released the song as a single and like stopped fighting and realized that they really had to like work together. It was sort of inspirational in itself and ended up using it as the opening of their raised on radio tour. It's like this changed the band. Yeah. And if, if you've ever seen the, like the behind the music VH1 episode on journey, they do a whole bit about this incident. And it is just heartbreaking because you can tell even like 15, 20 years later, they still like think about that every single day. Yeah. And the Scandal version, which wasn't released as a single, appears on The Warrior. It's not as good. Really? Yeah. It's this is really it's Journey's song. It's Steve Perry's song. And and I love um, I love Patti Smythe, but Journey really, really wins this one. Yeah, it's just got such a soaring kind of chorus that it's hard. Mm-hmm. And the, the story behind it, too, like, it's hard to really hate this song. Yeah. Like, I don't like Journey, but, like, I feel like you're a bad person if you don't <laughs> like this song. It's so inspirational. Like, you really do feel like you can do anything. Yeah, I could wrestle a guy who's 20 pounds lighter than me <laughs> and win. I Yeah, I could, I guess, run to school. I don't know. Not going to wear a rubber suit. I don't know. I feel like this would be like my anthem if I was running for president or something. Like everyone can get behind it. Yeah. It feels so good. It's it's very inspirational. I'm into it. Yeah. And this is uh, this is one of the songs that they will repeat throughout. Mm-hmm. Anytime he goes running, you, you hear uh, the big swell of Only the Young by Journey. Yeah. There's two or three songs that they always use as like montage music. Which, it's like too much of a good thing. Basically, yeah. 
Fishing class. Well, there's there's three songs they use repeatedly, so there's too much of too much of a good thing in this. Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. <laughs> Can we? So the first the first thing that happens in this movie where I'm like, okay, what's going on here? So Loudon works at a hotel, right? And he's he's delivering room service to this guest who is in his room doing tai chi. And when he shows Loudon to do how to do chai, tai chi, he starts to put the moves on him. And Loudon like immediately like you know hands up like nope, I'm out, I'm done. And that sets the tone for the whole rest of the movie. At that point we should have all been like nope, I'm done, I'm out. Bye, peace. Gone and done some push-ups in front of the elevator and walked away, but we mm-hmm. had to stick around. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, just such a, a movie that is so unpleasant about everything. Like if you had told me so Vision Quest, like the match like imagine the poster, it's got Matthew Modine, Linda Fiorentino, it's a it says it's about wrestling. And then the first thing that happens is like unwanted sexual advances. Like, okay, what's going on here? What yes. have you gotten me into, Libby? I I know, I feel bad. <laughs> I do. And then we have to move on. Yes. But it, he he moves on fairly quickly from this. Like it's just like yeah, yeah that's a weird thing happened, guys. That's whatever. Yeah, he never feels affected by anything. Um because all he cares about is wrestling. Yes, and again, his weight loss journey. Everyone's saying like you can't drop 20 pounds and I want to say yes, you can't do that. You, that's dangerous. Well, it's you can do that. You shouldn't do that, but you can do that. At one point he says he's living on 600 calories a day. God. And I'm like that is upsetting as I cram uh Swiss colony pedophores into my gaping maw. <laughs> That's like that's bas- that's basically saying like I drink three cans of Coke a day and nothing else. Yeah, like that it's... will that will kill you eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but then very quickly after this hotel incident, you know, he leaves work and he goes running through downtown Spokane, and we hear the next song on our soundtrack, which is Dio's "Hungry for Heaven." <laughs> Let's go to a clip. Oh boy. Right off the bat, like, this bites the opening riff of The Who's Baba O'Reilly so hard. Okay, I'm glad I wasn't the only person who heard that. It's not hard to miss. But I but I didn't find anything in, in researching it where they got sued by The Who or where it pays homage. I was like, okay, I did hear that, right? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Pete Townsend probably didn't sue him because he knows that Ronnie James Dio is, in fact, the devil. That's fair. I don't know. That's fair. Of course, um, Ronnie James Dio was fronting Black Sabbath on the song The Mob Rules from uh, Heavy Metal. So there's our, uh, right again, we've got our second Heavy Metal song, Mm -hmm. Heavy Metal Link, if you will. Yep. Um, This one manages to be dark and brooding while still being super inspirational. Yeah, like just turbo cheesy, but also that has that Dio edge to it. Yeah, and he talks about dancers, he talks about runners, but um, he never has a verse about a wrestler with an eating disorder. I mean, maybe he only saw like so much of the film before he wrote this song. 
just like uh he's running and i don't know maybe he may, are we still into dancing we still doing the flash dance thing sure why not still doing the footloose thing sure you're a dancer <laughs> but yeah this was actually written specifically for the film and I found a quote where Dio <laughs> talks about it. And he says, yeah, the song's about a wrestler on a quest for excellence. And he says, it's the greatest of conclusions. Heaven, I guess. I guess. And he's probably hungry for heaven because he hasn't eaten anything in a fucking month. But this is one of oh. those like rare like workout montage songs that's literally just about the workout. Yeah. So I, I, I would say, you know, hey, it's the new year. Got to get that new you. Put this in your workout rotation and see what happens. I I agree. I'm... Um... I mean, I guess the question is, is heaven locale? Because, you know, I'm trying to take some of the holiday weight off. <laughs> I mean, I don't got any jokes for that. <laughs> I told you, I was writing jokes. Like, got, Libby's got the jokes tonight. I've got folks. so many jokes tonight. Um, but we, as he pulls into the school, we actually get the last, we get two songs, but only the slightest touches of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, the local DJ is playing uh, Sammy Hagar's I'll Fall in Love Again. Sure. Why does this sound exactly like his song from Heavy Metal? Because <laughs> I think he only has one song. I mean, fair. This is his third appearance on the podcast. Yeah. Because he was he was very early on. We talked about I Can't Drive 55, which is his most rockin' song. Sure. But yeah, this one is... This is the weakest. It could It's serviceable, but it's not particularly outlandish. And there's some really like big numbers on here. You instantly know what they are. This isn't one of them. This is really kind of filler. It really is. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. The version the song that I prefer, I sent this to Libby a little bit ago, was like an acoustic version performed by Sammy Hagar and Daryl Hall. And that's actually a really strong version. So we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you listen to that one. It's, it's much better. It's fine. <laughs> It's immediately followed by Foreigners Hot-Blooded. So let's go to a clip of that. You all know this song. I hate this song. I hate Foreigner. Foreigner's not my favorite, no. That said, Lou Graham should probably get a COVID test with the temperature of 103. <laughs> Fun story. I actually heard this song on the radio while I was in line to get COVID tested. Ooh, that's a little on the nose. Uh, a little up the nose. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> my test results came back negative. I'm fine. But still, it was like, hmm, really? I have to listen to this right now? <laughs> not right now. I was texting you, Libby, at that exact moment. <laughs> I be- that's right. That's right. And you were like, you um, can't make jokes about this. <laughs> but this is what I think this is Lou Graham's second appearance because he was on our Lost Boys episode. That's right. Yeah. Lost in the Shadows. This I think this was the biggest the biggest uh, hit song from the record. This hit number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Okay. I mean, not uh, from the soundtrack. I think it had come out several years before. But you know, of all the songs on the album, this is the big hit, I guess. So. I don't like Foreigner, 
but I do have a foreigner story. Okay. My husband and I wound up seeing Foreigner when they came to town. And they played a local event that usually tries to bring in, you know, some band that's on the the state fair circuit. So 38 Special, stuff, stuff like that. ZZ Top. And this year it was Foreigner. We got lawn seats. We won them in a raffle. So we get there. And it is the most white trash thing I have ever seen. Not like county fair white trash, but sort of middle class white trashing out. Like middle class wine moms kind of. Yes, but being trashy. And the guy, I think it's only like one member of Foreigner left and it's not Lou Graham. Oof, that's a shame. So whoever, whoever is singing for Foreigner now was so into it. It was almost like a Foreigner tribute act. I mean, he had the shirt unbuttoned to the navel. He had all the scarves. And the ladies out by us are losing their minds. They are just screaming at every single song. And, of course, I'm laughing my head off because this is ridiculous. And I mean, he does all the, the big songs. He did this. And at one point, he says... Well, I don't know if it's the water here in Wanianta that makes the ladies so beautiful. Oh, and everyone's going, no. it's Oneonta, but he's counting. And he's like, it's- are there any ladies out there who like to have a good time? And he's like, Wah! it's like, I don't think you heard me. Are there any ladies who like dirty white boys? And then he goes into dirty white boys and the crowd loses their mind. And I am flat on my back. I'm laughing so hard. And Ian's like, we got to get you out of here. Oh, no. You have to go home. You're being bad. So, I mean, we heard Jukebox Hero, and then he's like, there, I've heard the four Foreigner songs I know. Let's go. So we bounced, but it was one of the best concerts of my life. Oh, that sounds amazing. It was kind of amazing. I think about it all the time. So, I mean, it's not not really hard to decode hot-blooded, but here's what Lou Graham says this song is about. Are you ready for this? Okay. A bit tongue-in-cheek, but really, it is a problem meeting ladies on the road. You see somebody in the audience you want to meet, but after the show, by the time you're done doing interviews and getting cleaned up, there's nobody around. You find yourself wandering around a city alone with nothing to do. And my feeling is like, I don't know, Lou Graham, that sounds like a you problem. Yeah. Because like every other rock star story I've ever heard is like, yeah, I bang 10 chicks backstage every (laughs) night. Yeah, exactly. So although that's like weirdly romantic, like I'm just walking, I'm just picturing him like walking around town like a Tom Waits song, like looking at windows that are of closed restaurants and being like, oh, well, (laughs) just sad, his hands in his pockets. Yeah, that's drinking a beer by himself. It's a like dive bar. You're right. That's not a foreigner song. It's a Tom Waits song. I know. I kind (laughs) of love it. Uh, Maybe just maybe the ladies just don't like Lou Graham. I don't know. Oh, that's too bad. Maybe he should come to Wanianta. It's where the water make the makes the ladies so beautiful. Yeah. It's that city water. It does things to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. But one of the things I want to note that while Loudon is in high school is that he is very clearly an adult. Yes, he is. Now, a- Matthew Modine was only 24 when this was made, and that's not an uncommon age for adults to be playing teenagers, but he looks every bit of it. Like, he looks like a grown-ass man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. It- doesn't help that he's like six two mm-hmm. and stands head and shoulders above everybody else um but the newspaper editor 
is our own Daphne Zunica from Spaceballs. Yeah. She's Princess Vespa. She was later in a movie called Gross Anatomy, which I believe is basically Vision Quest, but in med school. It's probably the sequel. I don't know. Um, oh, Loudon finally I, made it to med school. That's great. I guess. All I remember is that I was also not allowed to see it, but I do remember going to the video store and staring at his stupid, beautiful face on the cover of the video. <laughs> it's so cute. Libby was not allowed to see it because it's gross. I mean, it says it's right in the name. It's gross. <laughs> this movie was gross. Wow. Why would they lie to um, me? But also, also um, not only is Matthew Modine like a 24-year-old man going to this high school, but his buddy on the on the school wrestling team is Forrest Whitaker, who was at the time like 25 or 26. And has no lines. Has no, he has lines. one line at the end. Crossover Shattered Shield fans will recognize Forrest Whitaker as Lieutenant John Cavanaugh from season five. There you go. Yes, he is Vic Mackey's nemesis. Mm-hmm. He's great there. He has a lot of lines. Also, remember, he was in uh, The Color of Money. That's right. Hustling uh, Paul Newman. He didn't have a whole lot of lines in that either. Nope. <laughs> uh, we meet his friend, Cooch, uh. who claims to be half Indian. He wears feathers in his hair. He smoked weed. And instead of coming up with his own vision quest, as he terms it, some nice cultural appropriation. Uh, he comes up with Loudon's vision quest, which is dumb. Yes. And his vision quest is that he's going to drop the weight and become a wrestler. Um, yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Most people, when they smoke weed, I think just want to like eat nachos and watch Animaniacs. But because Cooch he... secretly hates his friend and wants, wants to wish him harm. Like maybe, um, or just likes weed. Yeah, that too. So, uh, but we fought, we meet our actual love interest, not Princess Vespa, um, because Linda Fiorentino and her nipples are pissed about something. <laughs> oh, you better believe it. So wow. the situation that she like shows up in the film in is very confusing to me. <laughs> she shows up because she was trying to buy a car from a car dealer that turns out to be a lemon, and somehow Loudon's dad played by RoboCop's Ronnie Cox, winds up getting fired because he sticks up for her. I, 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 am I getting there? Am I getting that right? I think her car broke down, and maybe she took it back to the dealer because he sold her a lemon, and then the guy from RoboCop punches him. Uh, that sounds right. At some point, Quarter Flash is hard and my heart is playing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not on the soundtrack. No, doesn't matter. So. But long story short... Loudon's dad loses his job, and then Loudon says, "Hey, uh, Carla is her name. You should come and stay with us if you're not if you don't have a place to stay right now." He also says that he wants. He tells her that he wants to be a doctor in space. This is not the stupidest thing he will say. No, but, about his career path, but it lays the groundwork. It, it is the stupidest thing he has said so far. <laughs> So, yeah, this traveling drifter agrees to stay with Loudon and his dad in their house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, right away, right away my, my, my disbelief has not been suspended. Like, I don't get that. <laughs> like, no. sure, okay, I mean, the movie has to happen, whatever. I can't say if I wasn't hitchhiking around, I would, wouldn't stay at Matthew Modine's house if he offered, but... I mean, I could see it. Makes sense. Yeah, okay. That's, again, that sounds like a you problem. I... <laughs> Fair. 
fair. Um, and she she agrees to stay with them for some. She wanders reason. around. Yeah, she wanders around with no pants because it's 1985 and this is a horny movie. Hey, man, it's the um, 80s. Yeah, I just want to note because uh, Cooch comes back. I just want to note that he has big theater energy. He has big community theater first movie role energy. Oh yeah, he does. And he says he, he announces that Cooch is his white name, Ugh. and his Indian I hate name him so much. is I think he said Swift Elk. I hate him. But at six fifteen, which is the same time I get up, Loudon gets up to do push-ups and practice, and we hear uh, Red Rider's Lunatic Fringe. Let's go to a clip. Now, this is one of the other songs that we'll hear multiple times. This time we hear it, we only get enough of the song to hear the title. I think that's the only time we just always just hear that stinger with the title. Yeah, that little that little guitar lick, and then Lunatic Fringe, and then that's it. Yeah, it plays a lot when he's like really into preparing, mm-hmm. and really into training. It's sort of the, you're the best. Yeah, yeah. Or the maniac of vision quest and i think it works here it, it does its job well it's okay um it works as a stinger when you actually have to listen to the whole song it is a little bit of a grind it sounds a little bit like blue oyster cult yeah a little bit and i think because it was called red rider i kept thinking of radar rider from heavy metal <laughs> i had the same thought <laughs> So I kept picturing the soft landing sequence Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. while I was listening. This also appears in Miami Vice and delightfully in Eastbound and Down. Oh. If you look at the lyrics of this song, and um, Tom Cochran has confirmed this, it's about neo-Nazis. Yeah. Which makes it perfect for a, hold on, let me check my notes, Um, a movie about a teenager jumping rope. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, I guess you take the huh. face value, like, like song title, and go, "Oh yeah, this kid is crazy for working out so much." Let's put Lunatic Fringe in our movie. Yeah. Yes, it was. Uh, I think he recorded it after John Lennon was murdered. So mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, yeah, put that in your little teen drama. Yeah, I, I appreciate like the history behind the song, but like, does it fit here? Uh... Oh, it totally does. It's just it's it's kind of a weird. It would fit better in heavy metal, I think is what I'm saying. I think so, too. Yeah. <laughs> but it does. It has a nice pop to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when they light him in red, as you see, uh, we'll see it again at the end. Um, the way it's shot, anytime they're using this track is really, really distinct. I, I immediately thought of the training sequences in Teen Wolf 2 and how, <laughs> how much better they would have been with, with Lunatic Fringe. Swap this with who do you want to be? Exactly. <laughs> now, the problem with Lunatic Fringe, at least, is every time I think about it, I can hear the first few bars, and then my brain switches over to uh, Michael Sambello's uh, Gremlins Megamix, <laughs> which is just flash dance for Gremlins. Now, this, wow. this song hit number 11 on the U.S. rock radio charts. Really? Yes. And 
Uh, you know, fun little fact. Cincinnati, their rock radio station, WEBN, to this day refers to itself as the lunatic fringe of American FM. And it's, it's all because of this song. I would change that. I, I feel like yeah. Alex Jones has that locked down. <laughs> I mean, assuming he's on American FM. I don't think he is. I think he's on a tin can connected to a string. <laughs> it goes directly into your weird uncle's house. And he just he just shouts his opinions into a garbage can. <laughs> I didn't realize this was a song that like was a big a popular song. I remember hearing this like way back in my memory somewhere, but like to get a, a really closer listen to it now, like I can appreciate it. Yeah, this one I think works in the film. Outside of the film, I don't really want to listen to it. That's fair. Oh, it's a bit I... of a slow burn. Yeah. And we get to meet wrestling's bad boy, Brian Shoot. Oh boy, Brian Shoot. And he reminds me, do you watch Letter Kenny? No. He kind of reminds me of Wayne. Like he's just very stoic and enormous. <laughs> and he's carrying a lot. Like a telephone pole up some bleachers. Of course he and is. Doesn't look like he could put an entire sentence together. <laughs> he also does definitely does not look like a high schooler at all. No. Um He's been he in the Marines like... for the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He looks like he has seen some shit. Yeah. I think he served in Nam. He wrestles to forget. <laughs> and then one of the things that I really don't like about this movie, aside from everything, is <laughs> it's very episodic. Like, scenes don't blend into each other. They just sort of cut from scene to scene. Because the next scene, we have him uh, in the hotel with Elmo. Not the adorable puppet who hates that rock. Um, he, It's the guy he works with. The cook. And the cook, Elmo tries to force him to eat a burger, but he can't because he's in love with Carla, a woman he has known by my estimation about 24 hours. Um, and it turns out that he is studying, well, gross anatomy because he wants to become a gynecologist. And I'm going to ask you to put the clip in here because I don't want to say the words that he says. Okay. And I'm thinking very seriously of becoming a gynecologist. A coos doctor in outer space? Man, you're flipping out. I want to be able to look inside women, find the power that they have over me. Used to be all I ever thought about was getting on the mat with shoot. Now all I ever think about is... Uh, Carlos Coos. Well, yeah. Ugh. I just need to unhear that. I need to go back in time to 13-year-old Libby's bedroom with her Han Solo poster and her Pokemon sheets, and I need to say, listen up. Couple things. <laughs> One, you're going to grow up to be monstrously hot. You can't you can't even imagine. You're going to be great. Two, Matthew Modine, not really worth it. Vision Quest, don't bother. Also, skip Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Go right to the shield. It's great. You're going to love it. <laughs> that is a, that's the advice I would give myself. The only time you should be allowed to say this is if you're, if you're trained to go to psychic school, not if you're trained to go to woman doctor school. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you... So is he going to be a space gynecologist? And where does this fit into heavy metal? Well, that is a heavy metal cartoon. I mean, have you seen some of the ladies they have in space these days? 
They need doctors too. I guess, but it's just like, does he ever get to look at space pussy? In the pages of heavy metal. (laughs) It's like a textbook. (laughs) It's so gross. Because later he wants to write a newspaper article about the clitoris. And he says this to Princess Vespa. And I am so angry. And not- because then my husband pointed out, she looks just like you. Uh-uh. That's how you dress. And I wanted to leave the room and shower until my skin came off in sheets. Now, a normal person would look at that article and go, Yeesh, geez, who would write this? Vespa loves it. I'm speechless. You've broken new ground here, Loudon. This is professional stuff. We are going to drag this stinky school paper right into the 20th century. Where do you get your ideas? Well, I've been thinking a lot about that stuff lately. Ah, we're going to make history here. And it's important, but he's not writing it because he believes in, like, women's lib and, like, the female orgasm. He's writing it because he just wants to think about Snatch. (laughs) He just really wants to bang what's-her-name for men in black, okay? It's just so terrible. Uh, can we just move on to the next song, please? We're going to have to. Oh, also, he sniffs her underwear. I just want to. <laughs> uh, I was trying I'm to. I'm not like, going to let you forget that. I was trying to get around it. I really was. <laughs> yes. Although she does draw a picture of him not sniffing her underwear, which is what I would do. And he looks like cartoon Randall. He does. From the clerk's <laughs> cartoon. Oh. She wants to go to San Francisco and be an artist. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. Um, but she finally agrees to go on a date with him, and they go to the oyster restaurant. Or the onion, sorry. They go to the onion restaurant. I was about to say, how much more Yannick can we get? <laughs> and we hear uh, Madonna, who plays herself, sort of. She plays a bar singer. And we hear Gambler. Let's go, Let's go to, to it. A clip. version that plays in the film is slightly less polished than the soundtrack version Mm -hmm. it's i think to sound a little more alive her vocals are a little further front in the mix right um so welcome back madonna we made fun of you on dick tracy we're probably gonna make fun of you a little bit here tonight the best description that i heard of this song comes from ed gonzalez who described it in slant as what dress you up would sound like after six vodka pineapples Ooh, yeah. Which is harsh. Um, I really hear more of uh, Pretender more than Dress You Up, but um, this is sort of your standard issue Madonna song. Yeah, this fits like right in with like what she was doing like for her, her first album or two, just like straight up 80s, like dance pop, whatever. Yeah. I got no it's problem good, with it. Yeah. But it's definitely a mid-list sort of filler. It would fit on like a virgin but it would be middle track of the b-side yeah exactly it's really kind of fluff um it this one actually though was not released as a single in the united states okay um the there was a video and it's got you know shots uh from the film but the 
European version has a song called Nature of the Beast by a band called Black and Blue, which also appears in the film. I do not know where. Hmm. It's, but it's weird because they're a heavy metal band. And it's the B-side to Madonna's Gambler. Wow. Geffen Records made a lot of weird choices. Um, that one also would not be out of place on heavy metal. Um, the version I have is from Holland. Neat. So my friend Lothar sent me that. Kind of a neat little collector's item. That's cool, yeah. But we get then to the film's big song, and that is Crazy For You. Let's go mm-hmm. to a clip there. This is my favorite Madonna song. Really? I love this song. And this is one of those songs. Did you ever hear a song, but you didn't know what it was called or who it was by, and you just only remembered like a little bit of it? You just kept that alive in your head, sort of like Summer Baby from The Adventures of Pete and Pete? Yeah, yeah. This was one of those for me. Really? And I don't know where I heard it, probably on B95.5, my favorite radio station, the adult contemporary station out of Albany. And I just clung to that. And I think I finally caught it one night on VH1. They might have even been showing this movie. Heavily edited, I'm sure. Um, Or no, I think it was just something about Madonna, because then I saw video of this and Matthew Modine being shirtless. I'm like, I'm in heaven. <laughs> um, but this is actually a really important song for Madonna and for me, but mostly Madonna. Um, because she was doing this kind of dance pop like Gambler. But this was the first time she really did a ballad. And it was such a big hit and it opened up this sort of whole new world of music that she could do. Um, which is kind of fascinating. Like, you don't have Take a Bow without Crazy for You. Yeah, it's true. Which would be too bad because Take a Bow is a great song. Mm-hmm. Um, She performs it pretty frequently. It is also in 13 Going on 30. And an instrumental version plays in the episode of Full House 13 Candles. So rest in peace, Bob Saget. Oh, yeah, that's right. The uh, director of Dirty Work. Absolutely. An OST yeah. party classic. There is also a scene in the Adam Sandler, David Spade film, The Do-Over, where two women fight in slow motion while they watch and mentally jerk off uh, <laughs> because we can't have nice things. Of course. Of course there is. But um, And I guess I should correct something that I said earlier when I said that Foreigners Hot-Blooded was like the big, the top single from this album. That's not true. It's this. Does this actually hit number one on the Hot 100? Mm-hmm. This song was a huge deal. Yes. Now, the American version had Berlin's No More Words, which is featured later in the film, but not on the soundtrack as the B-side. Uh, the UK version version has sammy hagar's i'll fall in love again as the b-side huh this is kind of the first time i've heard of like singles doing that where they have one artist on one side and one artist on another but i guess it's pretty common i suppose depending on like the record company 
And I sort of only know that because my friend Lothar sends me European pressings because he lives in Germany. Right. Okay. And so I, I end up with a lot of different variations. Oh, so, I, I got you. Yeah, different, different songs were released by different, you know, like charted differently on radio. And so what they thought might have been a good single in one place might not have been in the UK. So they swap it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I can understand how that would happen. Really, it's kind of crazy for you's fault that we're doing this. Because <laughs> I really, I really do love this song. And I don't think I played it at my wedding, but I probably should have. I just, it's so romantic and it's so sweet. And it's like slow dance or like couple skate. I think I probably taped it off the radio. It's also on the Immaculate Collection, but this is this is it. This is my favorite Madonna song, followed by Dress You Up. Mm. Yeah, this is a lovely song. Like, I don't have any problems with this one. I What's like your it. favorite Madonna song? Is it more from Dick Tracy? Oh, good Lord. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, my favorite Madonna song. What is it? I have always really liked Open Your Heart, I think. Oh, Open Your Heart is great. Yeah. I think that was That's... actually the first Madonna video I ever saw, so I think that may be why. That's probably a life-changing Madonna video. That's. I was entirely <laughs> too young, and I think, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was your own... heavy metal in the woods. It was my own my own vision quest. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but um, just did you notice when you watched it that the vocals were slightly off? Her mouth movements, just just, just a little bit, yeah. I yeah, that. and that happens throughout the film. There's something wrong with the audio. Yeah, I don't know if that's a, a a streaming thing or if that's that's the film, but I definitely noticed it, and it's jar. It makes me feel like I'm on drugs. Yes, it happened a couple times, and it freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay, I just so, wanted to point that out. No, no, the, you, no, you're 100 percent right. But uh, um, so in, in the scene where the, where Madonna's singing "Crazy for You," Loudon spies Carla at the club with his English teacher. Or he, yeah. spies, he spies her at dinner with his English teacher. Rude. And in his frustration, uh, what does he do? You guessed it. He goes to work out again. And he jumps rope to lunatic fringe. Once again, yes. So on the next day, his teacher uh, reads a poem. And at this point, I've just mentally checked out. It's like death poem, blah, blah. And he tells the same teacher that he has a constant heart on. <laughs> yep. The girl in my dreams lives under my own roof. I see her every day, but she thinks I'm a kid, immature, a dumb jock, all of which is more or less true. I'm dying, Mr. Tanner, eh? like that girl in the poem, only quicker and with a heart on it. <laughs> he says this to his teacher. Out loud in front of people. To be fair, him and his teacher are probably the same age. It's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> but he does tell Cooch that she has all the things that I like in a girl and in a guy, and we stand a bi legend. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yep. Yep. He's not picky. She brings her hot body to school. That's Carla. Um, and says he's like a stepbrother. He is not happy. It's like, um, hello, there are whole categories of porn based on this. You're <laughs> fine, dude. Um, but there's something about her because she really, she's the only one that sort of isn't impressed by everybody's big, like, enthusiasm 
for high school wrestling. She's the only one that is like, why is this important? Because she's in her 20s and she hasn't been brainwashed by high schoolers. I guess. Um, but I love that because she reminds me of Amanda LaRusso in Cobra Kai. Doesn't she have like Amanda LaRusso energy? Yeah, like, like, why she, are you guys still like doing extre- karate? extremely over this and just like, what is even going on here? I love it. At one point, his coach tells him, um, wrestle at your own weight, which is what I'm going to tell people when I want to say, stay in your lane. Wrestle at your own weight. That's, wrestle at your own weight. That's perfect. Yeah. Because they're saying it's not about the team. It's about you. And he gets so mad that he climbs the pegboard while John Waite sings change. Let's go to a clip. Yeah. When you got your lucky break, you're looking back now. And it seems like a mistake. change is like it is like perfect 80s like aor cheese yes well it's written by holly knight who's a masterful songwriter uh which is why it like it rocks so hard mm-hmm. like musically rocks really hard um but i find john Waite just like really like leans into his earnestness and it's like almost to an absurd level like this song, even the video, she was like a woman and she's depressed because like the rock and roll lifestyle wasn't for her and she got lied to. And it's it's absurd. It's very silly. It's it's but it's, it's almost also like, sweet. It's it's very sweet, but it's also like it's almost like a parody of a Rick Springfield song. Yes. It, it, it there's something just slightly I don't know if it's its sincerity it keeps it from becoming like a billy joel song you're like okay well you're just being a dork now yeah it's it's but that's that's really what it is it's the sincerity I, he be- yeah, you can like tell I, he believes in this song yes and rick springfield probably is the closest comparison but like he really he just feels every feeling in these lyrics because mm. it's so hard and it's so corny but i here for it i really like this one and, uh, and the music video especially is just so over the top i can't really complain about it too much it's really amazing we'll link in the show notes it's, a, it's my favorite music video of all of these yeah it's it's, it's a woman who's who's like haunted by the 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 path that she's gone down and she's doing mountains of cocaine and she's signing her life away in blood and john wade is just there singing to her to not jump from this ledge it's very dramatic it's yeah it's, it's extremely if it can it's be extremely on the nose. If something can be it's like just... too dramatic and too silly, it's this song. Mm-hmm. It's it's, but... it's I love it. I love it so much. I do much. like John Wayne. I like him a lot. <laughs> um but yeah. The, um he manages to climb all the way to the top of the pegboard and he gets the coach's blessing to continue developing his crippling eating disorder. Of course he does. Everyone's like, yeah, drop twenty pounds. Like, no. Get this man a sandwich, please. Please, I'm begging you. Um, and it's at this point that he writes the uh, aforementioned article for the school paper about the clitoris. Uh, I th- again, thirteen year old me would have been blushing head to toe when he says the big c word. <laughs> but I'm just like, please don't ever talk to me like that Mm-mm. again. How dare you! How dare you say clitoris to me? 
Like, can, How you, dare just, you? can you just imagine, like, in a '90s like teen comedy, somebody trying to do this? Like, what the what what the repercussions would be? How people would like just blow this out of proportion? Well, the weird thing is, this movie is about teenagers, but it's rated R. It's from a YA novel, but it's it's a hard R. So the only people who could really realistically see this movie are people who are no longer in high school. Yes, but are watching 24-year-old high schoolers talk about the clitoris. Like, it's just, I'm not, I'm not sure who the audience for this movie was because it's not sexy. It's not sensual. It's just uncomfortable. All the sex in it seems ugly. It's a very clinical look at, like, obsession and, like, teenage... I don't even yearning know. yearning but yeah. not even romantically it it it's like factory settings it's an industrial film about yearning yes <laughs> your penis and you yeah <laughs> I don't know I never felt emotions as stagnantly as he does like he just wants because he wants not because he ever shows any outward love for anything for his wrestling for her it really is just I want it because I want it. Yeah. It's a collection of scenes where like it knows it has to get to the big match at the end of the film, but it has not a clue how to get there. There is no wax on, wax off, except no. maybe with his chest. Can we not? <laughs> Can we not, please? I please just let me be like a little bit horny. I no, need something I, to cling I to. Know. I just know. a little bit. <laughs> I've suffered so much. Oh good lord. Um, but he gets a nosebleed. He gets a nosebleed, yeah. Um, and we get a reprise of Crazy for You. Mm-hmm. And while Carla is out with his teacher and he's angrily lifting weights. And then comes a scene that is somehow worse than Space Gynecologist. Because she comes home, he confronts her about going out with his English teacher, and he just throws himself at her. Yes, literally throws her on the bed and says, like, why won't you fuck me? Our hero, ladies and gentlemen. A rapist. Because I live does... in your house, sir. And for a hundred other reasons. <laughs> she pushes him off and tells him, I don't have to fuck you. Like, I'll fuck who I want. You don't get to control that. And she's my hero. Mm -hmm. But that's I mean, that's who we're supposed to be following in this. Like... It's so gross. He's because he's really aggressive about it. It's not even that. Like, I, I don't know any other way to put this, but like that playful 80s sort of teehee sexual aggression. You're actually scared for her. Yeah, totally. Like, he's violent with her and she has to push him off. And at no point are there any repercussions nope. in this, except that he doesn't get blown that night. <laughs> exactly. This, this never comes up again. And we hear uh, Hungry for Heaven again. The wrestling team's on their way to their next match, uh, mm -hmm. no, an away match. He gets a nosebleed while he's on the mat and gets disqualified. My guess is because Brad Wesley is the judge and he doesn't like bleeders. You're a bleeder, Loudon. <laughs> You're a bleeder. And then they go to a diner. Again, they, these really are just scenes. There's no real film here. Um, and we hear style councils shout to the top. Let's go to a play. Yeah. 
so much different from everything else on the soundtrack. Go on. Basically, what I'm saying is it's so much different from the like that 70s and 80s butt rock that we've been listening to so far. Like it's this. What, what, it's, this, it's the genre of music we've talked about before. Um, what's it called? Sophistapop? Is that what this it's, is? I think it's a little more power pop. It definitely leans into sort of a punk take on chamber pop. Mm-hmm. But um, Paul Weller was formerly with uh, The Jam. Yeah. Who were big on the, the power pop scene. And actually, um, their manager signed The Vapors, our friends from Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Um. I've never been big on the Style Council, and I think part of this is because I I can never quite find the hook. Like, the song always feels like it hasn't gotten going yet, or it's already started and I missed it. Mm. Um, I can can hear that. I can see that. Yeah, this, the video for this, which has nothing to do with Vision Quest and actually shows a bunch of uh, minors from the 1984 strike, appears to be a cross between like Joe Jackson stepping out and anything featuring madness. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I'm really not sure. Like, are we doing a piano sophistipop thing? Are we doing a ska tune? What is happening here? I'm, I don't like it as much as I really want to. I wish I I do wish I liked the style council more. Yeah, I kind of felt that way when I first heard it, but then as I read up more on who the style council was, I think I like it more in theory, and it makes me want to go and listen to more of this group. So yeah, in that sense, it succeeds really because okay. I'm I'm into the idea of like this, you know, a punk like a new wave punk band that kind of puts that down and tries for something a little more. Um, I don't want to say sophisticated, but there it is. Sort of upworldly. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm kind of curious. I, I'm gonna see if I can find out what this is all about, and I'll report okay. back. Yes, please do. Um. Meanwhile, he's trying to convince her to stay with him, and I guess it goes okay. She doesn't hit him and leave. This guy that tried to sexually assault her didn't try; succeeded in at least groping her. Um. No, she kisses own. him. In fact. I know, it's Ugh. terrible. Um, but then he goes and runs to Only the Young. We learn that he's down to 172, and they go grocery shopping. And he drops a bunch of detergent boxes on himself because he is an absolute clown. <laughs> he gets another nosebleed. It's like, take a fucking iron supplement, my dude. Eat, eat a sandwich, man. Come on. Come on. Um, and they decide to go to his grandfather's for some reason. I'm mostly checked out by now, but we get uh, Don Henley's She's on the Zoom. Yeah, good uh, good road trip in music here, I guess. Let's go to a clip. I hate Don Henley and I hate this song. <laughs> it's it's not great. Let's go through the story of like what's going on in this song. Let's dissect this just a little bit. You tell me. Okay. It's not about being actually on Zoom. And it's like, yeah, Don Henley, we're all on Zoom. It's a pandemic. She's not special. Yeah, no. But it's about a girl. You know, she escapes her small town with some guy, goes to New York City, auditions for a bunch of gigs, gets nowhere with it, then follows some other guy into Studio 54. And that's kind of where the song ends. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? 
Don Henley. Is it the prequel to Change? Oh God. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is definitely where change starts. Is the end of this song, but like, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Don Henley doesn't know. Don Henley doesn't care. He... Every Don Henley song sounds like it was written by Slime for Slime. <laughs> All Don Henley knows is that this is a story that happens a lot, and he wants you to know about it. <laughs> He's this is like Don Henley reporting the news. <laughs> This is Don Henley's version of Don't Stop Believin'. Like, she's just a small town girl. This is Dirty Laundry before Dirty Laundry. Gross. He's terrible. He's the word. He's not Don Felder singing Heavy Metal Taking a Ride. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Ugh. We, we hate this song so much, I don't even remember what was happening in the movie. It's sexual tension, I think, because they go out to the granddad, and I think he says more stuff about his weenus. Oh, he tells her about his nocturnal emissions. Oh, God, that's right. And again, I had a crush on this man when I was a teenager. <laughs> I've met him. I gave him a hug. I, he needs to answer for his crimes. That's what I should ask him in the Q&A. Like, I'm sorry. Can you, I'm going to go back in time and ask him, like, what the fuck was up with Vision Quest? That movie's gross. Explain Vision Quest, sir. Yeah. But, like, they're camping out, right? And every time he seems to, like, get a little bit closer to her, he finds a way to mess it all up. Yes, because he tells her a very romantic story about how he's still a virgin because he declined to, uh, what does it say, gang rape his friend's little sister? Yeah. Um, And she tells him, I guess, to be equally cringe, I think, she tells him that she never had sex with this teacher because they're just friends. Oh, thank God, because God forbid... That she not have saved herself for Loudon Swain, age mm. 18. Yeah. Loudon Swain is the worst. He's a nightmare human. Um, <laughs> they finally, thankfully, reached the old man's house and stopped saying gross stuff. <laughs> Stop saying dirty stuff for a second, would you? <laughs> and the, as we said, the granddad is old man Morley. Um, Loudon wants him to come live in the big city with him and his dad and he's like well i've got my fishing poles and my guns and i'm sure he also has evidence that the 2020 election was stolen by geese pretending to be antifa i mean yeah sure he does i'm just living out here with my truck and my blue collar (laughs) um that scene goes nowhere. No, literally nowhere. It goes literally nowhere. Because they get back in the truck. Or they No, they first they make out in a field to Crazy For You again. I assume they had sex because he talks about it later. Like it was a thing that happened. I guess. Um, I don't think he's ever had sex. She does stuff to him off screen. And then later on camera, he says, I had sex. We don't know <laughs> if that was sex or not. <laughs> yeah. You don't know. She probably told him it was sex. She probably just like pushed him down a hill and been like, was that as good good for you as it was for me? He's like, I did sex. <laughs> um, but yeah, she feeds him pizza in the car. And I don't want to know what Washington pizza tastes like. I bet it tastes like garbage. Then they go home and fuck in tasteful side shadows. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I was so turned off. I thought I might die. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I, don't, I cannot think. Of what is less erotic than this, like a pamphlet at the STD clinic, a funeral, Henry Kissinger. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it was very bad. Uh, yeah, you know, a pamphlet called Why You Shouldn't Bang Random Drifters. Sure. 
then he goes and thanks his teacher for not fucking her. Ugh. I hate him. <laughs> you, you know, guy, you can just keep your thoughts inside your head. You don't have to let them out into the world. Yes. <laughs> he said on a podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Loudon would have a podcast. He'd have such a podcast. Loudon would frequently post about Elon Musk on Twitter and listen to Joe Rogan. He would have a women's health podcast titled The Big C. <laughs> I hate him. Thankfully, though, in one of the other books that this author wrote, Loudon apparently died in a space shuttle crash. <laughs> Thankfully. He never he never got to live his dream of seeing space pussy. I mean, maybe he did and it was just too much. He told everybody he did. He came down and thanked his teacher for not looking at space pussy. You can't you can't see it, but I'm just shaking my head right now. <laughs> um So we we hear no more words from Berlin. I'm trying to get us through the end of this. <laughs> I know. We're almost there. We hear no more words from Berlin. Uh, I didn't listen to this or the soundtrack show, but I don't know. Um, it's not. Yeah, it's not on the soundtrack. It's. I really like no more words. She said, "If you want to find it, um, it is the B side to Crazy for You." Mm-hmm. We've talked about Berlin before on Top Gun. I think it's the, this is the better song. Okay, Take My Breath Away is nauseating, mm. but No More Words rocks. Okay, yeah, I'll go track this one down. Yeah, this this one's worth a listen. Um, But he also finds out that Carla has left. Hang on, real quick, though. I love that this song is playing as he rushes home from practice to presumably bang his live-in girlfriend. (laughs) And (laughs) And she has split. And she has split for a good reason. Yes, probably because he's he's a two-pump chomp, right? I think we can all agree on that. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yikes. He also goes and finds uh, Elmo who has shaved and taken a night off to watch a child wrestle. Of course. And then he gets real maudlin about soccer. I don't know nothing about Pele. I'm watching what this guy can do with a a ball on his feet. Next thing I know, he jumps up in the air and flips into a somersault and uh, kicks the ball in upside down and backwards. I'm here sitting alone in my room. I start crying. Let me tell you, kid, it was pretty goddamn glorious. Like, I think this is, pr- it's supposed to be profound, but it just comes across as silly. Yes. It's like, okay, so you're just a grown man crying over a soccer game. What are you, Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish? <laughs> I only want to be with you, Matthew Modine. Uh, it really is just dumb. And I feel like as we've been going through this movie, I feel like, People aren't going to believe that all of this is real. Everything we have told you about tonight happens in this film. Like, go watch for yourself. There really is a man who gets super excited about going to see a teenager wrestle. And he's not even Kevin Spacey. (laughs) Oh. Oh, wow. This is not a joke. Our April Fool's episode is three months away. Yes. We, We haven't. We're not pranking anybody here. No, these are all real. But we get to the match, and it's like, will he show? And Forrest Whitaker gets his one line here. Mm -hmm. He says, Cooch, you think he'll show? And he almost doesn't show, but he does. And he makes weight, and he strips naked till you can see his bare ass, and I felt nothing. 
I felt nothing. Not even like the slightest twinge of leftover teenage lust. Nothing left in the tank. I was so disappointed. I, I wanted to have like a moment of silence for like when Libby's dreams died. 13-year-old Libby. They just died. Mm. All of her dreams. Finally looking at Matthew Modine's naked butt. It's like staring at two little hams. <laughs> So I'm... The, the the last songs that we hear in, uh, in the soundtrack, we've already heard three times already. So there's really not much to talk about. We hear Lunatic Fringe as as Luden prepares for the big match. And then uh, only the young plays over the end credits because of course it does. Yes, because he wins. Because of course he wins. I do want to note that I like the fact that Shoot's entrance music played by the school band is the Jaws theme. Yes. That's legitimately that made great. Laugh. I hate this ending. I was kind of hoping that, like, he would win but drop dead. Sort of, like, eight seconds. Oh, like the end of The Wrestler. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because I guess he earns it, but there's never a cost. I mean, this guy is bleeding. He has dropped 20 pounds very rapidly. He's not eating. And... Oh, Carla comes back to him. We, that is implied. He gets the oh, girl. Fine, whatever. Everybody in the known universe is there to watch the match. Yes. To watch this kid's brain leak out of his nose during this match. Yes. And so I I don't know what the point of this film is. There's a, a weak, like, follow your dreams monologue. I think a lot about those six minutes of shoot and the time I spent with Carla that season. Cooch had it right. It was a vision quest. But all I ever settled for was that we're born to live and then to die, and we got to do it alone, each in his own way. And I guess that's why we ought to love those people who deserve it like there's no tomorrow. Because when you get right down to it, there isn't. But his dreams are so dangerous that I'm mad that that's the message that it's putting out. Mm-hmm. Like, Follow your dreams dream- at all costs. Damn the consequences because you are going to die one day. That's how the, that's, yes. that's how the movie ends. Yes, but it's like, yeah, you almost died doing this. And I, I wanted to see a struggle with him. And you never get that. Like, he's angry because he's not getting laid and he occasionally gets nosebleeds. Like, where is the drama inherent in that story? There is none. Right. Like, I, I would expect a movie like this to go in the direction of, like, you know, he's shirking his uh, wrestling practice to go and be with Carla and therefore his his wrestling suffers or he's wrestling too much and his relationship with Carla suffers. Like one has to give because that's, yes. that's how drama works. He doesn't get everything, but there's a way around this. Okay. This is my pitch. So we reboot Vision Quest. Okay. Just like we did with Cobra Kai, we see it from Shoot's point of view, 30-something years later, and Loudon is a space gynecologist, and Shoot like, works at a lumber yard, and he's like a sad alcoholic. Um, Shoot, is except- ba- Shoot is back in the laboratory where he was genetically grown. <laughs> um, now, unlike Cobra Kai, which is on Netflix, which is very expensive and throws money at everything... Uh, Vision Quest will be on Tubi, and every fourth commercial is the one of the progressive commercial with the dude that looks like your worst ex. Oh God! Let's make it happen. Let's 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 crowdfund this and get it made for fifty bucks. 
Matthew Modine's not doing anything. Nope. I bet he can do this. He's sitting around randomly liking my tweets. He's got time to work. <laughs> so yeah, actually, they did consider doing a reboot of uh, Vision Quest with Taylor Lautner of Twilight fame. And then I think they watched Vision Quest and thought, no. <laughs> oh, wait. This should. This yeah. is a bad movie. No, wait, we should not do this. If this soundtrack didn't rock so hard, this movie would be lost to time. Yeah, we. There, so this is really on journey. This is really on journey. Exactly. This is this is all journey's fault that we're here tonight talking about this movie and the soundtrack, too hard. which is legitimately great. Like I, we're we're gonna uh, slag on the movie all day long, but the soundtrack is pretty damn good. Really, except for that Don Henley song. Yeah, it's that's a take or leave jams song the whole way. But I, yeah, I'm into this 100. percent Actually, no, 90 percent because that Don Henley song is kind of trash. But uh, yeah, this is a good wow. soundtrack. It really is. Much better than the movie. Um, the movie definitely gets its money out of this soundtrack. I, As we said, I think between only the young and lunatic fringe, I think they're played at least three, maybe four times each. Crazy for You gets definitely some mileage as well. Hungry for Heaven gets a couple times. Yeah, like they really, they really made the soundtrack work for the, the budget they had to work with. <laughs> and within the film, and we've talked about this um, on uh, a couple – of, the, of more recent episodes where you'll hear a snippet we talked about uh the oingo boingo track in ghostbusters that you hear four bars of yeah exactly and they they make the music very much a part of this film they really yeah they really do so we appreciate that um this movie should never be seen by anybody please no i'm begging you please don't watch this movie it's really bad um unless you want to hear matthew modine say clitoris 13-year-old Libby, if you're listening, I'm sorry. So so what are we doing next week, Joe? Well, uh, Turnabout's fair play. So next time on the show, I'm going to torture Libby by making her watch and listen to the soundtrack to 2002's Orange County. Motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's going to be great. Well, this will be fun. 2002 was such a great time for music. This this was the era of uh, of power pop in a big way. We got the Offspring, we got Foo Fighters, we got uh, Phantom Planet. Hey, uh, Libby's favorite band, Lit. And shut up! Oh God, the Ataris are on this. I forgot about them. Never. I hope Matthew Modine jumps rope in your sleep until the end of days. You son of a bitch! I <laughs> <laughs> oh, hate you. Okay, Anakin, settle down. <laughs> But if you want to send us anything from requests for future episodes or comments or questions, anything you want, send those to us at OST Party on Twitter or or um, email us at OSTPartyPod at gmail.com. Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore, or you can find me over on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Joe, where can they find you? They can find me at a, an undisclosed location because I'm pretty sure Libby is going to try to murder me. <laughs> um, no, you can find me online at cordial wombat on twitter and instagram you can find me also on the christmas creeps podcast at christmas creeps where we talk about christmas movies all year long um that's gonna do it for ost party this week folks so for the ost party i am joseph wade and i'm libby cudmore buy the ticket take the ride take the ride